the right idea at the right time. The miracles of logistics every day. I just challenged all of their rules. Technology is revolutionizing this industry. Changed our lives. Close your eyes for a second. New York, Hong Kong, Paris. We're more connected. You just never know where the next innovation will come from. Rules are beginning to change. This is Longitudes Radio, a podcast with today's leading experts about the future of technology, global trade, sustainability, and logistics. I'm Brian Hughes. And I'm James Rowe. James, I've been thinking about something that you're intimately familiar with. What's that, Brian? Getting old. Ouch. <laughs> I know, that uh, wasn't very nice. But here, here's why I've been thinking about it. The fact is, we're living longer lives. This is true here in the States. This is true around the world. This aging demographic is creating all kinds of new opportunities and ripple effects that we're just now really starting to think about. It's a fascinating subject. And so we brought in none other than Joe Coughlin. He's the director of MIT's Age Lab. Age Lab's been around since 1999, and their mission is to invent new ways to help an aging population continue to do things as the average life expectancy gets longer, longer, and longer. And James, you're really uh, getting this whole podcasting thing by uh, putting do air, things in air quotes I, so everyone good, can right? see that. When we say do things, we're not talking about golfing or handiwork around the house. Joe's team is offering solutions to the problems tied to an aging workforce. They're creatively using technology to improve not just health, but actually identify which part of the population has the most purchasing power. Obviously, that's a really valuable thing for businesses of all stripes. You know, and healthcare is such a big part of that story, Brian. So we were fortunate enough to have UPS's Chris Cassidy. He's president of Global Healthcare Logistics Strategy for UPS. Join us today. Chris deals with this kind of concept and in this discussion on a daily basis. So he'll shed additional light on the challenges that face the business world now and well into the future. And make sure you guys come back tomorrow. This is part one of a two-part conversation, and we're going to kick things off with our colleague, Chris. A twofer. Can you tell us about the MIT Age Lab? You're doing some uh, really cool things there. What are you working on? What gets you excited when you get out of bed in the morning and go there? Uh, The Age Lab is an exciting place because what we're trying to do is invent life tomorrow. It's about aging, but if you think about what aging is, It's about tomorrow you will be older no matter what your age is. So we started in transportation, older drivers and mobility, but we also look at the future of the house, the future of the workforce. How do you plan for that thing we call retirement? So the lab is one part engineering, one part psychology, and one part all the social science that goes into life. What are are some recent surprises you found there in your work? Does anything stand out to you as kind of like, wow, I didn't expect that to happen at all? We did a study on the future of senior housing and healthcare and related services to the home. We did a study where the app or the on-demand economy, the Uber, if you will, of the economy, was actually cheaper for people to live in their own home and to have all the services from healthcare to nutrition to transportation come to the home than it was to move into senior housing. Now, that may not improve the social ability, but it made it an option to age in place. Yeah, that's an interesting point. We're finding that uh, it's all about 
not only the connectedness, but as you move into the collaboration, it's about shifting to uh, services in the home. And and here at UPS, we talk about the, the the healthcare notion of what health is becoming. It's this really this this industry shift and a megatrend from sickness and being preventative against sickness, really to how we live our lives in wellness. And I think that shift to wellness is making people who are actually you're seeing 40, 50, 60, they're the healthiest they've ever been in their lives. And you're seeing that notion become uh, how they live their lives. And it's making this notion of the home become more uh, where all companies are going to find the, as you call it, the home platform. Right. And, and I think the home is where not only are we collecting the data, but we're turning that data into meaningful information. But the question remains, what will companies do as they transform to this aging population, this longevity economy do to transform with an, an older workforce, a very different younger workforce, a different loyalty uh, in terms of how we, we serve and serve provide services into the home. Think about this. Companies do very well by doing what they've always done, but therein is the trap because they've been doing what they've been doing because the longevity has always been you go from a certain age to workforce age to a consumer age. We're now looking at where the economic power and the numbers is in a population that we once discounted as old, retired, and shall we say disassociated with the market. More importantly, it's not just about markets anymore. It's about workforce. So we now need to rethink the life stage models and how we think about exciting and delighting the customer. So how do you view old? Uh, <laughs> what, what is old? Is it, is it 60? Is it 70? In all your work, what, what is old to you? You know, what's really interesting is that old age, as I write in my book, The Longevity Economy, is made up. We actually came up with the idea in the 1800s of vital energy, where we said you had a certain amount of energy, and if you used it badly, you'd get old, you'd get tired. In fact, you'd have to retire. Think about this. You need 20 times more light to see at age 40, to see as well as you did at age 20. Is 40 old? Some states say that you need to be relicensed at age 50 because you're an older driver. The fact of the matter is, physiologically, we don't really know what old age is. It's truly a social construct. And yes, there's a time when we get disabled and a little older, so to speak. But frankly, old age right now is, shall we say, what we choose to make it. Usually 20 years older than whoever's answering the question. So <laughs> it, it makes me wonder about quality of life, too. I couldn't I, I, that came to mind is like, okay, we're living longer. I'm assuming that's related to the increase in health care, right? But is the, so is the quality of life climbing with the age? Are, are, are we living better? That's the biggest challenge. And in fact, that's the new market opportunity in the longevity economy. It's not just about serving, so to speak, older people. It's about helping all people live longer, better. Unfortunately, you are correct. We have a lag, if you will, in the quality of life going with our life years. So really the new business opportunities that are out there today are not just to find ways to excite, delight, and engage, but to ensure that our health care and, frankly, our ability to do things continues with all those years. Yeah, I read one of your Forbes articles, and it was about as, you know, we're aging, we're going into retirement. That's when we think about health. We think about money. But you mentioned another wild card, which is about community. Can you talk about that for a minute? And that might go hand in hand with this idea of a better life. It's, it's interesting to be here with, with, with the folks at UPS because you're about connectivity. And it's interesting that connectivity now is one of the greatest challenges of society, particularly an older society. 
They're now suffering social isolation. We now saw in the UK a minister of loneliness. In fact, data suggests that living alone in a state of isolation is the equivalent health impact of smoking 11 to 15 cigarettes per day. And think about it, we have smaller families now due to the decrease in fertility. The question is, who is going to, shall we say, outsource what used to be the role of the adult child, typically the adult daughter? Yeah. Is that going to be a company? Is it going to be a service? Is it going to be a group of companies? Yeah, absolutely. So contextualizing this a little bit, I, I think I heard you refer to the longevity economy as almost a new continent popping out of the sea. When I hear something that big, uh, it's dramatic. <laughs> what, I mean, give, give us some numbers and some sense of scope and these demographic shifts and how people might contextualize it as they try to understand where we're moving. It's funny that I, I often speak to the investment community, and they're always chasing emerging markets. They're usually associated with geography. But right in front of us, we do have this new longevity economy that's emerging out of the ocean like it's a, a continent to be discovered. Here's the numbers. In the United States alone, we have one person turning 73 every seven to eight seconds. But that's just the United States. Worldwide, the 60-plus make up the third largest economic buying power after the GDPs of the U.S. and China. And more importantly, perhaps, it's not just about money, pure numbers. By 2047, there will be more people on the planet over age 60 than there will be children under 15. Do, do you think that's going to change the whole notion of how people look at retirement and how they look at how they live in this notion of retirement? I mean, there's 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 what's now being known out in the in the social community as your real age not your birth age and and so the old 62 65 70 notion of social security retirement plans pensions uh, it's all changing uh, both for governments and corporations what what are your thoughts on 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 the notion of retirement and will people retire i was about to say and let me know if i'm going to be able to retire because my wife needs to know <laughs> <laughs> well given the divorce rates in the in the 50 plus you may not know but yeah, that's, yeah. no mm -hmm. retirement is one of the things that needs to be rewritten we're we're not really thinking about the fact that the longevity economy is not just about living longer but it's how it changes everything. 40% of Americans over age 50 said that to the AARP, they plan to work until they drop. Some it's for money, some it's for meaning, others it's for social connectivity. And so the notion of retirement worked well when, A, you needed people to be physical laborers, and there's not as many of them as there used to be. And secondly, 65, basically retiring then, you had a few short years, a trip to Disney, a cruise ride, and then you were done. But now... We're looking at, ready for this? Do some quick math. From 1 to 21 is roughly 8,000 days. From 21 years old to about 46, 47, 8,000 days. I bet you're getting the algorithm now. From 46 or so to 65, 8,000 days. But think about this. The fastest growing part of the population is 85 plus. From retirement age to 85 and change, 8,000 days. The longevity economy is about inventing a life stage not simply providing care. And wow. let me ask you too, I wonder if we can shift to the talent aspect of this. If we're living longer, we're working longer, and I'm avoiding retirement, as you just pointed out, what does that mean for the social construct? What does it mean for companies who need to train their workers to work longer, work smarter, and adapt to what we're seeing out there? The volume, the velocity, and complexity of technology and knowledge. There's a, a, a concept that was developed by Buckminster Fuller called knowledge doubling. Certain fields, like medicine, it has been said that knowledge doubles in medicine every 18 months. 
So the new business for companies, for education, and for institutions that have yet to exist is how to keep that worker not just on the job, but productive and personally competitive. Yeah, the whole notion of training. Uh, what does it mean? People are, are, aren't looking at careers. Uh, you're finding that people are coming in knowing that this is a stepping stone to something that's their next step before they even start. Uh, can we talk a little bit for a minute about uh, do people look at themselves as being loyal to uh, the, not only where they live in the community they live, but the companies they work for? Are we seeing a shift in the employment and talent structure in terms of how they even view the job itself or the corporation they choose to join? That's a great question. You know, in the lab, we've done a little work across the generations, and, and the, ba- the baby boomers grew up in a time where the question your parents always asked is, what are you going to be when you grow up? Well, they kind of stuck with the job, generally speaking, but Gen X, that, that middle age group, pretty much is saying, look, I've seen my parents do everything they were supposed to do, and they got laid off. So I think I'm going to be a little bit more uh, uh, independent on how I think about my careers. And the millennials, given the fact that they're going to be living longer, the technology is changing and knowledge is changing, we need to start asking our kids, now what are you going to be when you grow up? How many things will you be able to adapt to, and how many careers will you have? And so we're seeing real changes in, in, shall we say, loyalty to a company. The company's going to have to start, try harder to be able to keep those employees. So speaking about adaptation, I wonder in all your travels, what regions are doing well? I know that the United States were doing some things, but we could, do, we could get a lot better in others. Do you think there are things that we could copy or that other people around the world might want to be more in tune to what is happening? I, I think this may often come with great disappointment uh, when, I, and when I get a question like that. The answer is I can't say any one country or culture has got it locked up. But I can say that we could borrow from some. The Japanese, I think, have done an incredible uh, amount of good work on how new technologies can be brought into the home to replace workers who are not there and families that aren't there. The Scandinavians have done a remarkably good job at maintaining social connectivity and social services. The U.K. has done a very good job at creating concrete, shall we say, comprehensive systems. Here in the United States, we actually have a good story and set of social supports that actually enable us to live longer with with health services. But I think all of us around the world can certainly do better because one thing we forget, this is new. We've always had older people, but never this many with this high an expectation to live longer and better. And you you know what's different, too, is we've had extended families over history where they've occupied the role of health caregiver, right? And then now we've moved to nuclear families. We've almost got like nuclear people. So that's what we've got is is the ability to for the services to come in, right? So yes. to, so does that Talk to us about how that opens the door for that. Yeah, the, the number one technology to, to help us age well and longer was not a, a medication. It was not uh, anything like that. It was the family. And now that the families are smaller or absent, we're seeing solo households being the number one fast-growing homes around the world, particularly in the industrialized world. But this is also a gender issue as well. Think about this. Women over 70, more than 43% of them in the United States live by themselves. More than 50% of them in Europe live by themselves. So the new services and the products and experiences that need to be delivered to that solo house are very different than anything we've seen before. So I'm hearing a lot of opportunities, and this is all exciting and um I'm glad we're optimistic and we need to get in front of this, but not to be doom and gloom, as I said. Is it a problem that we're not having as many kids? 
It could be a problem if we don't find a way to not just provide care, but to keep people engaged and productive in society. One could argue that having children is a statement of optimism. Um, Maybe we're not as optimistic, I'm not sure, or maybe it's just not convenient. Uh, And in many cases, you know, I come from a family that had many dairy farmers. You had kids because you needed workers, not because you necessarily needed kids. Right. So right. That, that, that may be an issue in, in itself. How are you out on the farm? <laughs> Cows don't generally like my technique. Did you wear the bow tie out on the farm? That's the question. <laughs> no, but I tried to put one on a cow once. I didn't go very well. <laughs> That's great. That's great. I, I, I think this has been a good macro perspective. I wonder if we could uh, transition into healthcare in particular. I know, Chris, you're doing so many exciting things in this space. An easy starting point might be the delivery driver. It's what we're most well-known for. How do you envision the role of the delivery driver, for example, changing 10, maybe even sooner than that, years down the road? Yeah, you know, since I've uh, joined here at UPS about nine months ago, one of the key things I set out to do in, in, in my first six months was really understand uh, the network and the infrastructure. It's exciting to me that UPS has one of the largest networked infrastructures in the United States, and it touches almost 20% of the GDP of the U.S. in some form or fashion, whether it's at a macro container level or a units of each's level. And those delivery drivers are a key asset of what's kept this company together as that trusted brand, not only here in the U.S., but globally. Uh, and as we move forward, this, this, this concept of technology and an intersection of technology, data, and information become AI – touching the actual delivery process and our infrastructure network is an exciting time for UPS because healthcare is, as we know, an attractive market. Uh, by 2021, the market will, uh, and logistics spend will shift from $87 billion to $102 billion. And UPS touches a significant portion of that, that third-party logistics spend. So we know it's an attractive market, but where we're going is how do you provide a different service model in that market. The, the consumer, this whole notion of patient and consumer, the traditional, we're seeing a major shift for healthcare from B2B to B2C, but we still need B2B. So you're actually having to provide services for the consumer in a B2B, B2C way, but to the B2B market. And, and that's where I see things like e-commerce, data, and information really changing how our driver not only works, but the services they provide. So in the next five to 10 years, I think you're going to not only have this conversation of driver versus robot or you know autonomous vehicles, but you're going to have this notion of over the threshold home health services. You're going to have our applications ta- talking to the nursing network saying, hey, this medicine that used to go to the hospital is now going to go to the home for that care provider. And the care provider can arrive in a, in a 15 to 30 minute window with, with the driver or let's stretch our thinking. Does, does UPS like a best buy who's now coming out with over the threshold services start to go into the home and provide some of that care with a nursing network? These are all exciting questions that we have to start thinking about as we figure out what we want to transform to in what we call the next 50 years of UPS. So, you know, when you talk about the threshold, right, and getting in through the front door, how do companies do that? You know, does it come down to trust, uh, 
reliability? What are some of the factors that allow them to come into the home? We should give the listeners a test. Do, do they know someone they would trust to go into their frail mother's home? She's 85, lives alone, and you live several states over. Who is that person? And we live in a time where people have lower trust, not just in other people, but institutions and organizations. So it's going to be highly, the, the, the new uh, premium is going to be personal, and it's going to be personal trust. Personalized medicine is the future. Home health as the home is becomes the platform for care is the future. And what we have to start asking ourselves as UPS is what role do we want to play? Do we want to continue to be the transactional shipper, provider of product and delivery? Or do we want to leverage that trusted brand to become more part of the supply chain. So when I talk about integrated solutions, I'm talking about our role in the supply chain process of healthcare delivery. Uh, and, and, and that's an exciting opportunity for, for us. We're seeing uh, Apple now yesterday announcing uh, at, the, at the JP Morgan conference that they're going to become a, known in their history as a health company. We're seeing CVS change their logo and brand, not to a CVS retailer, but CVS Health, right? We're seeing the banks start to merge in in, in non-traditional ways uh, to become health providers. Uh, So what is UPS in its imperative of health and healthcare uh, going to do and become? Even the language is changing. We see the banks and financial services companies speaking of financial wellness, even though it's about saving, but the whole vernacular to the consumer has changed. Yeah, there's there's no more notion of sickness and sickness care. Uh, it's, it's a notion of wellness and nutrition and longevity uh, because uh, that's that's where people's minds are at. And while you're willing to go out to the 50 years, let's go out to the 50 years. We know that already today we can take for $100 a test to find out how well we chose our parents. Start imagining how that data, (laughs) if you will, will then be used to pinpoint whether or not you took care of yourself for a lifetime. And I, I grew up outside of Philadelphia. I believe that Scrapple, Tasty Cake, uh, Tasty Cakes uh, 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 are food groups. And nutritious. And nutritious. Mm-hmm. Well, what happens in the future where we're able to do a genetic test that says, gee, your parents are more likely to have been hypertensive. You did not eat well. Your Apple Watch says you didn't walk very much. What does that mean for not just healthcare delivery, but also how we share healthcare costs. You talk about the uh, healthcare. I believe there are someone that I was talking to recently said there's four M's of health. And we talked about the motivation of health. We talked about the measurement of health. Uh, And I said, no, 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 there's five M's of healthcare. There's the movement of health, not only the transformation of healthcare movement, but the physical movement of healthcare and the shift in terms of how you expect it. Uh, we don't want to go to the doctor anymore. You know, we don't, when you have to get the blood drawn or, 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 or the procedure taken for the life insurance policy or the new job, you want the provi- care provider to come straight to your doctor's office or your home. Uh, and that's just an expectation of the generation. And, and so what we're starting to see is that this notion of leave work, take the day off, go to the doctor's office, go to the hospital for the procedure is now moving from in the care provider to the home, and and thus you need materials, procedures, uh, and and goods and services to bring that to the forefront. And and this innovation is being pushed, I would argue, not just by the availability of technology and even disease burden. It's being pushed by the consumer. Look what the consumer did to general practice medicine. Urgent care clinics are popping up like weeds. 
Why? Because the consumer's convenience, the consumer's demand for 24-7 care said, I'd rather go to a nurse practitioner now, off hours, when I need them, rather than have to wait for 9 to 5 for somebody in a white coat to say they now have the pleasure of serving me. If you like what you heard today, check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, or right on our website at longitudes.ups.com. And after you've signed up for the podcast, please drop us a review. We'd love to hear from you.